Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Coming October 6th to the Thriller Zone, New York Times bestselling author Riley Sager and his number one hit, The House Across the Lake. Started with Final Girls, went to The Last Time I Lied, Lock Every Door, Home Before Dark, Survive the Night, and then of course now The House Across the Lake. By the way, all those titles just send a little chill up my spine and I haven't even read the bullshit. yet. Lock Every Door. We work very hard on the titles. Like, I thought an author could just call a book whatever they wanted to. That is not the case. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple, and I'm so glad you decided to join us today. Today's show guest is Riley Sager, and the book is The House Across the Lake. You could describe this as Hitchcock on the Lake, as you'll hear in the show, but boy, it is a doozy full of surprises. It's a riveting read. Okay, I could go on and on, but why don't we just get right to it and join Riley in the studio right now on the Thriller Zone. All right, Riley Sager, let me let me say something. We're going to talk about this luscious little creature here, uh, the house across the lake, very shortly. I'm just going to start off with, boy, was it fun. I'm glad you said that because it was so much. it was so much fun to write, like the most fun I've ever had writing a book. I am, uh, I'm going to say up front that I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of you. I had not read your work, but then when I read this and then I read some of the, uh, the praises on the back of the book and everywhere else I've seen you, um, uh, and, and I keep hearing the word Hitchcock, Hitchcockian, and I'm like, all right, now I've got to go back and dive into some more Riley a little, a little bit later. So, uh, you got, you got a lifelong fan, buddy. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Now, I do want to uh, ask, what have you been up to since I saw you at Thriller Fest June-ish this summer? Yes. Yeah, you were the talk of the town. You were, People coming up asking for autographs, selfies, uh, questions. I'm like, what have you been doing since then? Um, after that, I went on my book tour. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was interesting to like really be outside the house and in planes a lot since the pandemic started. So that was all kind of nerve wracking at first. And then so much fun. It was, it was just a blast going to places and just going to a bookstore and seeing like a hundred people there just to, to see me and hear me ramble about my book. And so it was, it was really fun. And then as soon as the book tour ended, I needed to get back to work and finish my next one. So that, that was how I spent my summer vacation was a book tour and then finishing my next book. Yeah. It's funny when I get to talk to so many different people and they, you know, th there's probably an illusion somewhere, Riley, uh, somewhere along the line where we think, Oh, this job of being a full-time writer, it's so romantic and so exciting and so thrilling. And when <laughs> in reality, it's its own version of nine to five, isn't it? it? It really is. Like there's, there's, there are occasional moments of like glamour, but 99% of the time it's, it's just 
sitting exactly where I'm sitting and trying to get words on a page that don't suck and <laughs> do it and do it in a timely manner. And it, it really is. There's some days where it just flows and then other days where it just, it's a job, it's a drag. And so it's, they're, they're, I don't want to like demystify it because I think people like the idea of like, oh, it's such a glamorous, wonderful job. And there are many wonderful things about it, but there are also many hours just sitting alone with your laptop and trying to create something out of nothing. Yeah. Do you, uh, and I'm just curious because I dig process, do you find yourself, is it better for you to shut the world out there in the big comfy chair and get it quiet and put a sign on the door or whatever that thing is and everyone leave me alone for this chunk of time? Or do you kind of come and go with it? You'll start, maybe you'll get up, you'll move about, you'll stretch, you'll, you know, how does that work for you? I'm curious. I, I start off gradually, like when I have the idea and then I spend a lot of time thinking about it, outlining, I'm a very big outliner and just letting the book wash over my brain, so to speak. And then when it comes time to actually do the writing, I use um, a software program. It's called Pacemaker. And you basically say like, okay, I have to write 90,000 words starting this day and ending this day. And it will tell you how many words you need to write that day to like meet that goal. And you can set it like, okay, I'm have, I'm busy this day, so I can't write then. So I, that day has to be blank and you can start off gradually and then build. And that's a lot of writers. Like once you get to within like, you know, a hundred pages of the end like you start to write more because you know you see the end in sight like okay here we go so i start off very slow and it's ridiculous like the first week of using this program you know it will say like today you have to write 52 words like that i can do (laughs) (laughs) that and then by the end it's like okay today you have to write 1500 words and so it, I, it's a nice way for me to ease myself into the book. And I do write more than 52 words usually <laughs> <laughs> at the start, but it, it, it is a nice, like you, you get to wade in gradually instead of just diving in head first and splashing around and almost drowning. And it's called pacemaker. And this is an app that, that uh, works alongside your writing program, or is it like a timer situation? No, it's just a separate thing. It's like a calendar. It's it's pacemaker.press, I believe. And you just okay. it it just is helpful to keep you on track. Like because sometimes life intervenes and you can get lost and get behind on stuff. And so it's always good to be like, this is what you need to do to meet this deadline that you have to meet. Because in my case, like I'm usually contractually obligated to meet a certain (laughs) deadline and so it's very important to stay on schedule yeah now do you also and then we'll jump off of this do you find yourself like if you go to pacemaker and it says you have uh 1200 words today and you're just not feeling it you'll you'll think okay well i'll just i'll uh i'll bang out a few hundred but tomorrow i'll just have to make up for it kind of work like that Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Like I, what I like to do is if I know I'm not going to be in the mood, like maybe the next day I'm busy or there was once where like a blizzard was coming 
Yeah. And I just wanted to take a snow day, basically. So I wrote extra the day before. So then I didn't have to do anything the next day. Sure. And I thought I was very impressed with myself for thinking of that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, wife and I, Tammy and I got to uh, go out of town this past uh, week and we went to uh, see the kids in Colorado. So I had stacked up all my podcast. I had, I was banging out like two and three a week, which means editing them and getting them in the queue so that I could go just relax. And it was funny. Two things happened when I was gone. I, I kept going, Oh, looking at the, you know, I, I've got a pot. I'll try. I don't have a podcast. And then I got back and I'm like, okay, I've got, Oh, okay. I can just kind of catch my breath. And it's kind of like that with writing. You know, you want to, you want to stuff the queue and be ahead of the game. Then all of a sudden you realize that there's a little bit of a mechanism that, that uh, discipline and that routine is just kind of ingrained in you, especially if you've done it as long as you have, and you just want to keep that, keep that momentum going all the time. Don't you? And and then when you finish a book, like the, the weirdest feeling is when I'm done with the book and then I sort of send it off to my editor and my agent. And and then I just sort of sit here thinking, I should be doing something, right? Right? Am I missing? And it, it's this weird feeling because you feel like I should be writing a thousand words today. And instead, you have to, I'm like, I can sit back. I can relax and breathe and do whatever. And it's a strange, strange feeling to go from writing, writing, writing to chill. Yeah. But sometimes that chill is where a lot of the inspiration comes, right? I mean, I would imagine, especially <clears throat> your your work is so uh, fraught with uh, anxiety-producing scenarios that your mind just all, must always be kind of searching, and I, I'm assuming this, uh, searching for the the bizarre element in any, any little scene. I, like, I'll find myself going, how could I make this? I'm just sitting here playing with the grandkids. How could I make this really wicked? <laughs> I, it's, it's never conscious. I never go in thinking this kind of thing, and it always happens. Yeah. Like, just something will happen. You'll be like, oh, this is borderline creepy. How can I really make it creepy? And then how can I incorporate it in a book? And, and it, it's very, like... um. Well, for instance, like the house across the lake was, I was on vacation at a lake house in Vermont, and it was intended to be a vacation. First night there, I went out on this wonderful back porch that overlooked the water. There were rocking chairs. I sat down with a bourbon and just was looking across the lake at the houses on the other side. That's when it kind of hit me like, oh, rear window on a lake. Yeah. That could be a book. And then by the end of that night, it was like, yeah, that's going to be my next book. And I spent like this whole entire vacation basically on that porch, just plotting the book in my head. And I was like, okay, there goes that vacation. No relaxation done there. I love that. I love hearing that because <clears throat> it is so funny. I was joking around with someone recently. I think it was, maybe it was Adam Handby. And I, we were talking about um, the things, the questions that uh, that authors hate. And I said, oh, how about this one, Adam? How about the, uh, where do you get your ideas? And we had a great laugh about that. And it's so funny. I said to Tammy the other day, I said, you know, if you're, if you're just awake, if you're just walking through life and observant, uh, being observant, the ideas will come to you because we're receptors for that creativity. Don't you think? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I don't actively seek out ideas. Like they yeah. just, that's why the question is so, 
you want to try to be able to answer it, but you can't. It's like, I don't know. Like they just happen. Like an idea will just, something will trigger it and it will pop into my head. And I've learned now to not write them down. Oh, so if, if it remains in my head, then I know it's an idea worth exploring. That's good. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because, and, and I bet you're this way. Will you get an idea? It could be five years ago. You'll have this idea and you're like, oh, there's a great idea. There's the seed of the idea. I'm going to put it on my mental shelf and I'll come back to it later and trust that if it is, because that's really what you're saying. If it is that good, it will come back to you later. Oh yeah. I, I have ideas that have been rattling around in my brain for yeah five or so years and it's just waiting for the right time or maybe like i know it's a good idea but i just don't know how to figure it out just yet but i will yeah. eventually and so there there is this, a mental shelf that's a perfect example description of it where there are all these little tiny boxes of ideas sitting on it and the ones like some of them i probably haven't thought of for like several years and those are the ones that probably i shouldn't yeah be focusing on and so it's good that i've forgotten about them it's the ones that i can't forget or the ones that i know i'm going to pursue at some point i ran across a note some notes to myself the other day i picked up this notebook and i can tell you when it was because i was living in los angeles the first time it was 91 i picked up this folder at a bookstore uh, uh, books a million that's where I bought it. And I, and I just made it, I just scribbled on the side, writing ideas. And I shot down a note and it was, this was about the summer of 91. And I'm like, well, here's an idea. And I wrote actually a paragraph, like it was an opening of a book. And I just said, I'll come back to it later. I ran across it, Riley, last week, just, just noodling around in my bookcase and pulled it out and went, oh, that's a really good idea. Sat down there, started into another story. Now, when that will finish, I have no idea. I don't worry about it. I think that's a little bit of the psychology of it. If I don't worry about it, if I go, oh, let me toy with this now, set it back aside, let it simmer on the back burner. And if it comes back around, good on you, right? Yeah. And I often find that I get really great ideas when at the most inconvenient times, like when I'm when I'm smack dab in the middle of writing a book, some great idea will like just be like, pay attention to me. It's like, no, I can't. I have another book to write. Yeah. You know, I'm amazed when I meet a writer who shoots out of the gate with a debut novel. Uh, I don't know why I, I am, but I just am. Uh, and, and wins an award like the ITW Thriller Award, as we started off the conversation about Thriller Fest. And uh, so you win this very first book, well, uh, not really. <laughs> wasn't it for the best hardcover uh, novel? It was, yes, but it was okay. not my first book. Oh, okay, got it. I, it's a pen name. Oh, yeah, trickery, son. Oh, trickery. yes, you didn't know this. You were like the only person who did not. Yeah, um, Riley Sager is a pen name. I had three books published under my real name before, oh. and that's a whole other can of worms we can get into. But yeah, so. So it wasn't my debut. So I, I always feel it was my debut as Riley Sager. Got it. Oh, okay. Well, you can understand while I'm confused then. Okay. Totally. Yes. Okay. 
that notwithstanding, I'm still amazed because the fact that you are able to garner that kind of accomplishment out of the gate, whether it's Riley or Jimmy Crack Corn, because I don't care, <laughs> um, it's still amazing. And so there. And and how many books was it before you hit that New York Times bestseller status, which is you know that uh, we all search for. Well, yes. Yeah, so there were there were the three under my real name, and they they really. I have not thought of them in quite some time. I'm sure that they're very terrible. Um, there might be a good reason that they didn't sell like at all, and necessitating you know a pen name. Um, but yeah, Final Girls like really blew up in a way that I did not expect at all. And then. Um, my next one, the last time I lied, was the one that eked its way onto the New York Times bestseller list. All right, so I've got a question. Now that you've, now that I know that, have the inside scoop, and uh, forgive me for not knowing that. I can't. No, no everything. problem. <laughs> you cannot. You cannot be omniscient. I have this burning question, and I think I may have posed it to Gina Panettiere on a recent conversation, and I said. If you're Billy, Billy Smith, and you're writing books and you're doing them uh, self-publishing as you're kind of honing your chops, going toward the submission to get an agent, et cetera, and you're Billy Smith, and that's your real name, um, heaven forbid, and you're doing these books and all of a sudden, and then you finally get to an agent. And, and I said, do you think it's important? Should someone at that point all of a sudden hey yeah we love this new book you need to come up with a pen name she goes absolutely because the history of your past if those books are mediocre at best won't do anything to help you do you do you agree and does that make sense i absolutely agree with that and that is exactly what my agent told me when i gave her final girls where she oh. she said like she said like this is your best work. This could be a very big book. We need to submit it with a pen name. And I said, I don't want to do that. And she said, okay, let me break it down for you. Can I swear on the podcast? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Yeah. So my, my agent who is a very wonderful, demure, like woman, she's just like, let me break it down for you. If we put your real name on this book, every editor that we send it to is going to look up your past sales and they are going to, based on those past sales, make you a shitty offer, give you a shitty advance. If they even do that, they're going to put a shitty cover on it and release it with zero publicity. And you don't want that for this book. And I don't want that for this book because this book doesn't deserve that. And to have it just presented in such a stark way, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I have to come up with a pen name and, and, do it that way. And here we are. So she was absolutely okay. right. Yeah. Th there's the sound bite of the show. Best, one of the best pieces of advice yet uh, made, made very clear with you. Now I, I do, uh, you know, the curiosity in me is going to kill the cat. Where did you come up with the pen name then? Um. Yeah. That was a weird thing to be like, Oh, I have to create a name now. That's interesting. And my agent suggested, you know, maybe an old family name as the last name. And so um, my maternal grandmother's maiden name was Steger. 
And she's like, Ooh, that sounds kind of creepy. And I'm like, does it? I've, I've, I've known it all my life. So it has no effect on me. And for first name, I was originally going to do initials and my parents' names are Ray and Linda. So I was going to honor them by doing RL Sager. And then it took me all of 10 minutes, which was way too long to be honest, be like RL Stein kind of has the market yeah. on those two initials. And so yeah. that's not going to fly. And yeah. so I looked up a list of baby names and like Riley was extremely popular. And I was like, that's kind of like just RL smushed together. Yeah. And so, and so I said, I emailed my agent, I'm like Riley Sager. She said, oh, I love it. Do it. And so that was really how it happened. I and love I, that. I did not think that I would, you know, be known around the world as this name now. But so, but there we go. So here's the question. Do you, uh, and I'm not asking your real name uh, on the premise that you may not want to tell me or have it out there, but do you find your, did you find yourself in the early days? Cause I got a, I got a great story about this. When you go to introduce yourself at a cocktail party or something, you go, uh, uh, Riley. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm good at it. I answer to oh. it. I, it, it was very easy for me to sort of latch on to the idea of like, it's, it's, I look at it as like, it's a stage name. Yeah. But I, I did meet, and I will not say, I'm, I will never say who this author is, but I did okay. meet an author once, a very well-known, well-respected author. And someone introduced me to him and said, this is Riley Sager, but it, Riley's not his real name. It's a pen name. And he went, why do you use a pen name? And I said, um, my agent told me to. And his response was, I would have gotten a new agent. And I was just like, what? Like, how rude. <laughs> and that's why I'll never say who this author is ever, ever, ever. There was a, it was a business decision sure. and it was sure. a necessary one to, you know, sustain a writing career. And some people get that. Most people get that. And then there are others who just don't. Well, the fact that you put it the way you did, that a publisher would go research your past and drill down, and if that didn't stand up to it, because uh, another thing that Gina said was uh, agents, publishers love to discover new talent. She goes, that's such a big thing. And so I went, oh, so when you put those two together, I'm like, okay, that makes total sense. Yeah. And it was, it was very weird. Like, to then when when final girls did come out the big question was like how much do we say like and so like we were very clear like this is a pen name this is a pseudonym of an author who's published mystery novels and it's like just to try to demystify the pen name thing a little bit sure and i actually think because the book did break out in a way none of us expected that it actually like increased the mythology about it and so people were far more interested in it than they probably should have been and how many people have gone, come up to you and said, Riley, what did you write before all of this? Do you ever go down that path? I really don't because they're out of print. Like they're, they're not even available as eBooks. Maybe you can find them in a library somewhere, but like it, it's not even worth going into. Like if, 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 if I knew that they were readily available, I would be like, oh yeah, they're here and you can get them and I hope you like them. Now, occasionally, I will have someone at a book signing haul out my <laughs> the books under my real name and be like, "Could you 
sign these as well. And it's like, wow, yes, I will. (laughs) We're going to take a short break and be back with more Riley Sager right here on the Thriller Zone. Stay with us. Your host, David Temple here. Hey, before we get back to the show, I thought I would throw in this one quick note. I have had authors approach me who want to actually advertise on the show. And I'm like, that's cool. I love that idea. I mean, think about it. We feature the best thriller writers in the world. You're one of the new up-and-coming thriller writers in the world to be. And you have a book coming out. Our rates are super reasonable. (laughs) We're easy to work with, as you know. And we all want to work together to make success for all of us. Just reach out to us here at The Thriller Zone at thethrillerzone at gmail.com. Let's talk rates. Let's talk details. Let's do something together in the new year. I think you'll like it. Now, back to the show. And now back to the show. I'll run this down because I want to add some graphics to the screen. We got final, started with Final Girls, mm-hmm. went to The Last Time I Lied, Lock Every Door, Home Before Dark, Survive the Night, and then, of course, now The House Across the Lake. By the way, yep. all those titles just send a little chill up my spine, and I haven't even read the books yet. Lock Every Door. We work very hard on the titles. Like, I thought an author could just call a book whatever they wanted to. That is not the case. Like, <laughs> there are marketing decisions to consider, and my publisher has input. And so, a lot of these titles, they are not what originally started with. And just through process of trial and error, we settled on them. So it's like this this group titling of a book. It's it's a very strange thing to me still. I must look like a real newbie right now because you're you're dishing out some little morsels that I never knew. <laughs> And I've been around the business long enough to have, should know, but that's okay. I don't mind looking like an idiot. It's not that much of a stretch. Um, But that's really cool. I did not know that. I I just kind of assumed, I guess I assumed that maybe your agent or publisher would come along and you'd say, oh, I want to, I want it to be, uh, you know, don't go through there. And they go, no, how about we try, you know, lock every door? Oh yeah, that's much better. (laughs) Yeah, there there are um, the the only two books that that my original titles remain the titles were Final Girls and The House Across the Lake, and that's because like I don't think there's any other thing you could call them, <laughs> and so the publisher was like, yeah, great, that's the title, but for all the other ones, it was it was a process. Oh, that's so fascinating. Okay, let's jump into this book because here's, this is one of those books that you find yourself settling into and you think to yourself, oh, goody, I can hardly wait to start rereading. Okay, maybe you're not actually going to say, oh, goody, because that sounds a little, but maybe something more like, oh, shit, this is going to be, wow. (laughs) And then you start reading it and you're like, yeah, as I did. Oh, yeah, I know this is, I know where this is going. I got it. I got it. I'm smart Mm -hmm. enough. You know, you're going along and then all of a sudden you go, uh, well, you don't really know exactly what's going on until well into the book. And then when that, you have a couple of really juicy surprises that pop out and just like, and I caught myself going, what? My wife would come in the room, what? What's wrong? Oh, no, no, no. I just got a, I got thrown a curve and I didn't see that coming. So favorite thing in the whole world. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. It was, that's why it was so much fun to write because I, when I, came up with the idea of you know rear window on a lake yeah 
you know, obviously I knew that this had been done before. Like, and, and when, when the, the plot synopsis like was originally released and people were like, Oh, we've read this before. It's like, I know you have like, cause I read it too. Like we've all read it before and trust me, it is not what you think it is. And so it's been fun to see the reactions from people when, because it is told in a very familiar way at first. Yeah. And I, I lean into every single one of the tropes of these kinds yeah. of books where, you know, she's a hot mess. She's an alcoholic. She's spying on the neighbors. There's, and it's just like every single cliche I could think of, I wanted to include it because I knew I wanted to get people comfortable thinking like, okay, I have read this before. And then to just pull that rug out from under them in such a startling, weird banana pants way. I just, it was so much fun to do. <laughs> banana pants. Well, you, you anticipated my next question because I was going to say, tell my listeners how you craft a story so compelling that it forces you to uh, sneak a few more pages and a few more pages until you race to the end. And you just said it because you do. You like... That's why I was so confident. Oh yeah, well, okay, I've seen this before. Oh, she's oh she's a hot mess. Yeah, I've seen that before. But boy, when you pull that little hook, I literally went. I literally did this really. I went. All right, wait. Did I? Maybe I. Oh, maybe I put the book down, and I you know sometimes because I'm reading two or three books a week. Okay, maybe I put this. Let me pick it back up. Let me go back a few pages. Oh no, no, that's what he did. Okay, that's, that's shit. That's where it's going. Yeah. Um. I, I knew I was onto something when um, one of my best friends in the entire world, she's like my first reader. And so she will text me her real time thoughts as she's going through the book. Oh, and so, cool. so I knew she was reading it and I was just waiting, waiting, waiting. And I'm like, okay, she's, she's getting close to that part. And then the text came and it was really, and it was the greatest text ever. It's like, what the actual fuck is going on on page blank? <laughs> and it's like, there we go. Yeah. And so I, I knew that I was onto something by just from that reaction alone. Yeah. That, that almost needs to be a, uh, a screen grab that you, that you frame and put on the wall because that's just, that is exactly the feeling that you get of like, okay, what the absolute did just happen here yeah i i made a tiktok of like the this is like the little of her text coming in as she was reading that and because it was just too much fun not to share you know i see that stephen king uh gave a blurb on one of your books and i thought okay if you were to ask me <clears throat> although i have not written the degree that you have nor to the quality of yours of course but if you were to ask me, okay, if you could have just say three people on the planet to give you a blurb, who would they be? And of course, Stephen would be the first one. So I want to ask the obvious question of how did, how did you feel when you see, saw that? And then um, on a business level, kind of an, uh, a very obvious question, but how much do you think that kind of a blurb helps catapult the success of that book? It was literally life-changing. Like, and, and, and the, the interesting thing is it was a complete utter surprise. I did not know he was reading the book. I don't know how he got the book to this day. I'm still not quite sure what events transpired to get the book in his hands 
six months before it came out. Like someone somewhere like had it in and snuck it to him and he decided to read it. And I remember this very well because how can you forget this? It was the day after Christmas and um, Final Girls wasn't coming out until July. And I was visiting my family in Pennsylvania and I got an email from a good friend of mine and an amazing writer, Jennifer Hilger, who the email just said, just saw Stephen King's tweet. Oh my God, congrats. And I had no idea what she was talking about. So I'm like, I'm instantly like went to Twitter and like scrolled and so, and, and there he had tweeted, you know, calling it like the next great thriller. Wow. And my reaction, what one was utter complete shock because I never in a million years expected it. And then once it finally like sunk in, I just, I had to like go outside and I just like stood outside alone for like 10 minutes. Yeah. Just sort of thinking like this really happened. Right. And I, I admit like I, I cried a little bit because it was like, I've been reading him since I was like 13. And so to know that I provided him with an entertaining reading experience, good Lord, you can't beat that kind of feeling. And I just had this sense of like, everything is going to be different from here on out. Like, and it, and it, it was true because like I went to Goodreads the next day and like thousands of people had added it to their to read list. Um, a week later, it was in Entertainment Weekly. Wow. Like, and I didn't know, like, I, I had a subscription to Entertainment Weekly, and I was just like sitting there flipping through pages. And then in the book section, there was a picture of the book cover and then Stephen King's tweet about it. Oh and I went, God. What is happening here? And it just and it just snowballed from there because like the book got so much attention based i think on his his mentioning it and tweeting about it put it in the minds of so many people like okay i guess i have to read this and so you know it was in entertainment weekly it was in cosmopolitan whoopi goldberg talked about it on the view oh my god and just it was like this weird snowballing effect because of that single tweet from this man that i've never met in my life and yeah it's it's been all uphill since then, all because okay. of that tweet. And and the burning question everyone wants to know: Which book was that? The Final Girls. Jesus. Yeah. Man, I mean, now I've got to go. Re- See, I've got to go read that one now. And he did it again for Lock Every Door, by the way. <laughs> what? That's yeah. like getting two holes in one. That one was another random where it was just I was like checking email before bed and I saw like an email from my editor being like, uh, it happened again. And I looked and there he was praising lock every door on Twitter. And yeah, craziness. I just need to bask in that for a second because that is so you can spend. I don't want to geek out too much, but you can spend your whole life dreaming of something like that happening and maybe therein lies the real beauty the real synergistic magic is that you weren't expecting it and then it happened and then 
you're blessed with all that energy and then it happens again. So, wow. Wow. Good for you, dude. That is so, may I call you, dude? You can call me, dude. And, and people okay. have asked me like, oh, do you want to meet him? And I'm like, I, I'm not sure I do because what would I say to the man who literally changed my life with a tweet? Besides, thank you. Yeah. Thank you wouldn't be enough, really. Yeah. No, I, no. I need to send him like a fruit basket like every week <laughs> for the end of time or something. Unless he hates fruit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Holy balls. That is okay. Well, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I, I've heard Hitchcock references Hitchcock, and you said it with uh, Rear Window on a Lake. Rear Window, one of my all time, f- I mean, just the quintessential really perfect movie it is absolutely perfect in every way yeah and it's so funny this is what i love about the perfect movie syndrome is that you can go back and watch it again and again obvious captain obvious here and enjoy it but it's when you pick up some extra little something that never caught your eye before and i predict that with this book and books like this that you go okay well I didn't see that clue and or element that would lead me down this path. And it's just, it's such magic, isn't it, Riley? Watching, I mean, I've seen Rear Window a lot. And even like, I was watching it about a year ago and just new things stood out to me where I'm like, I couldn't believe I missed it. Like, we're going to spoil Rear Window for, you know, your listeners who haven't seen it yet. But, you know, the evidence that proves that he's guilty is the the wedding ring and the whole plot is about like relationships and marriage and whether Jeff wants to marry her and like all the, every, and every single person you see in those windows is some form of like, they're either married and unhappy or they're married and settled or they're looking to be married. And it's just, it's this whole microcosm of like all these different relationships. And the fact that like the main piece of evidence is a wedding ring. It didn't hit me until probably like my 25th viewing where it's like, Oh wow. That's really good. Hitchcock. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you wonder if, you know, I've heard tell that he storyboarded, uh, a movie, and then he shot exactly the storyboard so that the studios would not be able to put their finger in and change it in any way. And it makes you wonder what he was, what was going through his life at the time. Was he, um, you know, having a challenge with a um, relationship of his own? Was he, you know, searching for answers, or was it just like you said, oh, you had an idea, you jotted it down, you roll, you went with it, yeah. There was not a question there. I was just really observing the fact that, uh, you know, he was such a master. And uh, did I, did you see the movie where, was it Anthony Hopkins played him? And he was a much more tyrannical than I had ever thought before. He, there are some stories. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, this is, and this is the thing where I'm not sure he was entirely a good person, but man, he could direct the hell out of a movie. <laughs> Yeah. And so it's I've I've learned enough, you know, I love movies, I love Hollywood lore and legend. And so like I've learned to sort of separate person from the artist. 
And so you can appreciate their artistry. Even if sometimes you've, some of the things you've heard about them aren't too flattering. And so like you have to, I think in this day and age. Yeah. Before we uh, get to our uh, show ending questions, I'd love to hear, and you've, you've, you've kind of related to it in some ways, but I'd love to hear your, you've been on this journey now for six books. You got seven and seven, probably already well into the queue. And you're probably already starting the germination of eight. Is that safe to assume? That is absolutely the correct answer. Yeah. It's okay. Seven is done. I just have a couple edits left and then I have the plot for book eight raring to go. Wow. That is so fascinating. Okay. So, that in mind, um, I'd love to hear your best advice for would-be writers. And the show isn't aimed necessarily at just would-be writers, but there's so many of my listeners and watchers, viewers that love to learn, or love to learn the craft of writing. And a beautiful thing about this show is we give the front best, you know, front row seat to the best thriller writers in the world. So I always wonder whether you're whether it's a serious hobby or a new profession. What would you say, Riley? to those folks is here's my best advice perseverance you have to stick with it like if you want it bad enough it will happen and it's never ever a straight line like that's the thing like final girls just exploded out of the gate and people thought like oh wow you know easy peasy and it's like no i'd been writing like 20 years until like this happened and so it's a very long twisty process with lots of dead ends and lots of disappointments and you have to just stick to your guns yet also you know be flexible like if i hadn't agreed to the pen name i wouldn't be here where i am right now and so you do have to kind of go with the flow a little bit and you have to learn from what happens to you like you know some things might happen you're like oh that's awful make it a learning experience and so that's that's my best advice is just you know don't give up superb and that begs a question uh, that uh, that just popped into my head what were you doing before you became this international sensation well um i was laid off from my newspaper job (laughs) And dropped by my publisher. And so I had really nothing. I, like, I was at my lowest point when I started Final Girls. And it was, it was an act of sheer desperation. Like, I, because I, I, you know, I was in journalism for 20 years, got laid off because newspapers are dying. I couldn't get another job because there weren't any. Um, I was working part-time at a library just to get some kind of money. And um, so this, this was my last ditch attempt at a writing career. And I, I sent a one page outline to my agent saying, okay, I'm really discouraged. This is it. I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work out, then I'm done. And she saw this outline and was like, I know like five editors right now who would jump at the chance to publish this. So write it as fast as you possibly can. And so I wrote the first draft in about nine weeks because I had nothing else going on, like literally nothing going on in my life except working on this book. And I really think like 
that's part of what makes the book work so well is that there was this desperation and urgency and even rage at my situation that like I poured into this book and I think it, it shows on the page. And I think a lot of other readers, you know, pick up on it and, you know, relate to it and it inspired them. But I did not think that the end result would be multiple New York times bestsellers and, you know, Stephen King blurbs and, books being optioned for film and TV and all that kind of thing. Like I just really wanted to have enough money that I could live for a year (laughs) was, was all I wanted. Mission accomplished. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the, the thing I love about that story the most is that this was your dream regardless. So journalism you know, you're not going to get necessarily rich in journalism as far as I know. So you were going along following your passion and you said, you know, one of these days I'm going to write a book, might change my life. That's not the primary goal. The goal is to complete something that resonates with my soul. Happy trails. And um, wow, that's just such great encouragement. So thank you for that. No, it's it's I've been told by many people that it is like inspiring to them. And I, I, I love being that inspiration because yeah. yeah, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone really. So <laughs> yeah, no, that is pure inspiration. And it's funny when I was sitting there in the audience, watching you speak at thriller fest, uh, not knowing you as well as I do already now is I'm like, ah, oh, he's probably just, you know, he's had this going along for years and years and this is just commonplace. But no, I, I don't get that sense now. I get a sense that it's it's a profound it's a profound acknowledgement of your being rewarded for your true life passion. Yeah, I, I was asked once by a friend, like, oh, so you know, you you've you've made it. Like, you know, you deserve this. And I was like, I don't think I deserve it, but I do think that I've earned it. And there is, there is a distinction between the two, I think. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, if you've heard this show before, you're probably familiar with this sound, which is my rapid fire questions. Okay. I'm ready. Don't sweat your palms. You're going to be fine. Three easy peasies. You've just finished writing a new book and you've decided to take a few weeks off to enjoy some R&R. Oh, I don't know. Let's make this up on a remote lake, maybe Lake (laughs) Green, that kind of a thing. Yeah. So name a book or two that you'd like to take with you to read for your own personal enjoyment. Perhaps it's nothing to do with thrillers, just something to do a brain cleanse. I, well, I am going on vacation in three weeks and I have my book picked out. It's, um, I have to look at the title. It's Mercury Pictures Presents. Yeah, I can even show the book. And it's Mercury. a literary novel about movies and World War II, and I'm very excited to read it. Nice. All right. Well, you have and, done your home. Yeah, and this and was what? like, it's, it's, and um, I, I still have to read The It Girl by Ruth Ware. Yeah, let's take 10 seconds on this. I cannot run away from that book. Um, I've been, you know, I've been talking to people after, you know, person after person, and I'll look on their bookshelves. I'm, I'm one of those guys that's, oh, what, what's on Riley's bookshelf down back there? You know, I, I keep seeing that book pop up everywhere. Now, I don't know that I can, uh, I got the chutzpah to get her on the show, but boy, it, it is the talk of the town. And you have not read it yet. You haven't even started it, right? No, I have like 
I have a copy. She signed it for me. She's so she's such a nice person. And um, I have not been able to have the, to read it yet. So that's hopefully okay. another vacation read. All right, number two. On a darker note, one night while having a hard time falling asleep, you hear strange noises coming from this same lake. What are you glad you brought along with you just in case things get out of hand? My cell phone. <laughs> because I can either call the police or call an Uber okay. and make my escape. Unless there's no reception, and then I'm just screwed. Oh. <laughs> All right, and finally, staying with a the lake theme, but on a more upbeat note and in light of day, you have been asked to host an interview in the luxury home where you're staying, and those two people happen to be with whom you've always admired. You're getting ready to invite two people to share this time with you. Maybe you've you've dreamed of speaking with them with them one day. They can be alive, they can be passed away. Who would those two folks be out on this big, beautiful veranda overlooking this gorgeous lake? Two people show up in a town car, they sit down and chat with you. Who would they be and why? Mark Twain would be one because I bet he was just delightful company. Yeah. Like always just imagine just sitting there and hearing him talk about anything, literally any topic. I'm sure he's entertaining as heck. And oh gosh, um, the other one, this is a toughie. Mm-hmm. Um, how long do I have to answer? Cause this might take a while. <laughs> I got all the time um, in the world. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at like my bookshelf to see like, which author would I love to, you know what I see? Does, does it have to be an author? No, it can be anybody. Okay, because I'm seeing like on my shelf, there's a, I have a, a biography of Elaine Stritch. She and Mark Twain together. Oh, yeah. With some cocktails. That would be a heck of an afternoon. So, yeah, we'll do that. Okay. And what would the cocktail of choice be for Riley? It depends on the season. Like in summer, I'm very much a gin drinker, either gin and tonic or martinis or something. But now that we're edging into fall, I've been drinking a lot of old fashions. Yeah. Oh, so I, I do like once October rolls around, I hit the bourbon. Yeah. Oh, such a Tammy and I have such fond memories. We lived in uh, Manhattan before we moved out here to San Diego. And there's a, a restaurant right on the corner. It's going to slip my mind right now. The best old fashions ever. They just take all this time to prepare everything and you get it and you just want to just make love to it. It's so delicious. All right. <laughs> there's, there's, just, there's nothing like a really well-crafted cocktail. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, as we wrap up, what will Riley Sager fans be able to look for in the new year? Now, we know that you want, we've got one in the queue. It's already getting through the process. So, I, And I don't know if you're talking about it yet, but if you'd like to, this is the perfect place to do it. This is after they read The House Across the Lake, of course. Yeah, I can talk about it now, which is wonderful because there's sometimes you're just sworn to secrecy and you can't sure. say anything. Um, it's called The Only One Left. Okay. And it will be coming out June 20th is the tentative publication date. And um, not to say too much, but it was kind of inspired by Lizzie Borden. Okay. Where it's it's about a, a young care an at home caregiver who is assigned to live with and care for a woman named Lenora Hope who may or may not have murdered her entire family fifty four years earlier, and so there's some a present day mystery, and then there's also um, Lenora offering to tell this nurse um, 
the events leading up to the murders of her family way back when. So there's kind of a dual narrative, past and present, and mysteries in the present and mysteries in the past and lots of gothic things going on. And the title once again? The Only One Left. Oh, The Only One Left. See, another winning title that was formed by committee, I'm going that to assume? That was definitely formed by committee, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when I got to see you at Thriller Fest and I walked up and I'm like, oh, will he have time for me? And you said yes instantly. I was like, wow, that is pretty cool. I, I love discovering new people. This book was a hell of a read, folks. If You you got to get this in the house cross. If you like those little surprises that, that are so hard to find these days, that's the key. You like, because we've become so accustomed, we're seeing so much streaming. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it. But you ain't seen this. I hope not. Riley, this has been so delightful. I'm so grateful for the time you've given me. Oh, thank you so much. This was a blast. Riley Sager, the book again, The House Across the Lake. It is a must read. You want to wrap up your summer, introduce yourself to fall, snuggle up with this book. <laughs> Just not in the dark. All right. Now. Why don't I give you an announcement of what's coming up next week as we make our way to the 100th episode. Riley is number 98, and my next guest will be number 99, Simon Gervais, and the book is The Black Briar Genesis. If you're a Robert Ludlum fan, like myself, you're going to rip through this thing. If you're not a Robert Ludlum fan, <laughs> but you like a good thrilling read, you're going to rip through this thing. And I'm so happy to say that I bumped into Simon at a recent uh, event and uh, he agreed to be on the show and I'm very excited about it. So join us Thursday the 13th for Simon Gervais and of course this book, The Black Briar Genesis. Before we scoot on out of here, I want to say thank you so much to two of my big key sponsors who helped make this show available to you. One is AuthorBytes.com. They build my website, David Temple Books, and they can build your website. They'll also offer you three months free with a one-year contract if you use the code TheThrillerZone. Also, thank you to Warwicks.com. Warwicks is a bookstore based in La Jolla, California, one of the oldest, longest-running, family-owned bookstores in America. And you can buy online, Warwicks.com, or in the store in La Jolla, California. Lastly, there have been some really nice, very kind uh, reviews coming our way recently, both on Apple and on our website, thethrillerzone.com. And I want to say thank you. I have found literally from all around the world, folks who are enjoying The Thriller Zone. So thank you for your very kind comments. You can go to youtube.com slash thethrillerzone. Be sure to subscribe, click the button, and you'll get... Uh, heads up whenever a new episode drops. And as you know, they drop every Thursday. Love to have you subscribe. It helps us out. And of course, you can leave reviews wherever you find your podcast. I'm David Temple, your host. Until next time, I'll see you for another exciting edition of The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.